no, this didn't save my life, but it gave me my life because now I can hug all my children and I can interact with my children and have a, a range of motion that would never have been possible before. So, you know, I think tissue, though maybe it doesn't get sort of the, the top billing, is really, it's such a powerful and wonderful gift to give. And the important thing I think for many of us to know is very few people are actually able to donate their organs. It, you have to die in a very specific way in a hospital under specific circumstances to be able to actually donate a solid organ. It's very, very rare to be able to do that. Most of us can potentially donate some tissues. So when you think about the fact that, hey, I might not get to donate my heart one day, but I could potentially donate my corneas and someone could see. I could potentially, you know, donate a heart valve and a baby could live. That's, that's pretty impactful. You're listening to the Beyond the Obituary podcast from Renaissance Funeral Home in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm your season one host, Jason Gilligan. Last season, we brought you stories of people who have passed on, as told by their loved ones, because a life is so much more than a one-page obituary. On this season, we're going to do something a little different. Joe Smolensky, funeral director and vice president of Renaissance, is your host, and we're going to dig deeper into the industry of death, because there are so many questions that most of us are afraid to ask, but we've always been at least a little curious about. So let's get started. Here's your host. From Renaissance Funeral Home, Joe Smolensky. On today's episode, we bring on Taylor Anderton. Taylor is the Community Relations Coordinator at Carolina Donor Services. I wanted Taylor to join us today to help answer some of the common questions surrounding organ donation and tissue donation. They are actually different things. Many people don't realize that, and there are other misconceptions too. I learned a lot from this episode, and I know you will as well. For Taylor, being a part of CDS, which is Carolina Donor Services, wasn't just a job. It was a calling. I've always been a registered organ donor, but it's also been one of those things I've never really thought about. I think most of us don't really think about it um, on a regular basis. But uh, around that time, my mom's uh, best friend, who was, you know, someone that I'd known my entire life and been very close to, really suddenly passed away from a stroke, massive stroke. And she was a donor. And being part of that and uh, that experience and seeing what, knowing that there was some piece of sense that could come out of this senseless thing, how healing that was for the family and for us as friends, um, was really kind of an amazing thing. So I started sort of Googling, gosh, who is this organization? And, and maybe I can volunteer with them or whatever, never really thinking that I would necessarily go to work for them. Well, Taylor, can you explain what does Carolina Donor Services do for the public? So we are the region's federally funded organ procurement organization, which is a big old mouthful, which is why we call ourselves an OPO. Um, And what that means is we are the organization that goes in and facilitates all aspects of organ and tissue donation within our specific service area. We cover 77 counties in North Carolina and Danville, Virginia. So we are by far the largest OPO in North Carolina. There is uh, LifeShare, the Carolinas, which is over in Charlotte. They cover kind of the Charlotte and Asheville area. Um, but we cover the rest. We work with 
four transplant centers. We work with Vidant down in Greenville, North Carolina, uh, UNC and Duke, and also Baptist, Wake Forest Baptist in Winston-Salem. So we work with them to facilitate the donations. So we have really, our, our organization has everything from the call center. We operate the 24-hour-a-day seven days a week, 365 day a year call center for the state of North Carolina. So whenever a person dies in the state of North Carolina, that death is called into our call center. And then sort of the whole donation thing starts. We start looking into um, cause of death, the um, medical and social history, whether or not they're a registered donor. And then we dispatch a family support coordinator that will be the one that will approach the family and have that conversation, let them know whether their loved one was a registered donor or not. And we can talk a little bit more about how the families can make decisions there. And our family support coordinators are unbelievable people. I often say I'm just in awe of anyone whose job is to have to go and be with a family during you know, one of the worst moments of their lives. But they are, they are really amazing, supportive, lovely, caring people that I'm, I'm so proud that I get to work alongside. Um, and then once we're able to move forward um, with a donation, um, then we have uh, the team that actually goes and works with the surgeons. We actually sometimes travel with the organs wherever they are going. Um, we can recover tissues actually within our surgical operating rooms in our Durham office, um, not organs, but tissues. So we do everything. We also then operate the after Life Anew Aftercare Program, which is for our donor families, gives them a, a support system, a way to honor their loved one, to remember their loved one, to potentially reach out to the um, recipient's family if they would like to do that or the recipient. And so, yeah, we kind of, it's, we're sort of a, a soup to nuts when it comes to organ and tissue donation here. Certainly my job is in the community. Um, my job is, is, you know, going out and interfacing with the public and with our volunteers who are recipients and donor families. So that has stopped in many ways or, or shifted to a lot of virtual things. But our organ recovery team, our tissue recovery teams have been out there. In fact, we've had record-breaking months since the pandemic started. Um, certainly everything looks different and um, approaches are different. You know, how many people we're sending into hospitals are, is very different. But uh, we've had some really amazing leadership and some really great partnerships with our transplant centers and our hospitals and other OPOs. And it's been something I've been really proud of to see that we're still able to do this work because what people, you know, all of us, myself included, forget is right now it feels like everything's COVID based, but there are still people out there needing heart transplants and liver transplants. And unfortunately, as now we're seeing some of these people who have recovered from COVID are needing lung transplants. So it's been different for sure, as I think everyone's lives have been a little bit different, but it's been um, really inspiring and also really pretty exciting to see how we can pivot and, and keep saving and healing lives really at the forefront of our minds. Well, I'm amazed that you guys said that you have grown. And if I heard you correctly, you were saying mainly because of great leadership and some great partnerships that have taken place. Is that correct? Is there anything else that's, that's helped you grow? Well, you know, we've had some changes to legislation, um, which has definitely helped us grow. 
in that we have made it easier, I think, for people to say yes to donation. I think my department, I'm in the communications department, um, we have worked really hard in recent years to be in the public eye as much as possible. We really strive through in-person events, through Uh, social media campaigns, through PR campaigns, um, to really try and help educate people and destigmatize. Um, That is something we really fight against. There are some some whoppers of some myths and misconceptions out there. And so I think that we've really been able to grow and expand our our public-facing aspects of helping people know, okay, yes, you saw that on Grey's Anatomy. That does not mean it bears any resemblance to reality. So don't let that scare you away. Yeah. We're in a related industry. Yes, we are. So Uh I I totally hear you on that one. Well, and what I heard you say was you, well, when I say you, I mean Carolina Donor Services, CDS, performs both organ donations and tissue donations. Is that correct? We recover both, yes. We do not recover eyes. We partner with Miracles in Sight, which is the eye bank here in North Carolina, and they do the cornea recoveries. Um, but they are our partner organization. Can you explain to us the difference between the, an organ donation versus a tissue donation? Organ donation is probably what most of us are, are most familiar with. So when we talk about organs, we're talking about solid organs. The organs that we can recover are your heart, your two kidneys, your two lungs, your liver, your pancreas, and your small intestine. So those are the solid organs that can be recovered. Um, When we talk about tissue, we are actually talking about things like skin, uh, connective tissues, bone, heart valves, veins. Um, Those are the sort of things that we're able to recover for tissues. Oftentimes, um, we refer to organs as life-saving. Obviously, we all know you can't live without a heart. You can't live without your lungs, that sort of thing. Um, And tissues, I think, sort of get maybe a little bit uh, second fiddle, which is unfortunate because people think, well, okay, but tissues aren't life-saving. Well, there are tissues that are life-saving. Heart valves are life-saving in pediatric heart surgeries. They are 100% life-saving. But you also think about tissues when you're talking about orthopedic surgeries and that sort of thing. Now, is that saving your life? No, but it is certainly saving your way of life. Yes, quality Um, of life. Absolutely. Our director of tissue services, actually, his wife was shot in the Columbine shooting years ago. She had to have extensive reconstructive surgery on her arms um, to sort of rebuild those. She has bone and skin grafts and, and tendons in her arm. And she now has a bunch of wonderful, beautiful children. And she talks about, no, this didn't save my life, but it gave me my life because now I can hug all my children and I can interact with my children and have a a range of motion that would never have been possible before. So, you know, I think tissue, though, maybe it doesn't get sort of the, the top billing is really, it's such a powerful and wonderful gift to give. And the important thing I think for many of us to know is very few people are actually able to donate their organs. You have to die in a very specific way in a hospital under specific circumstances to be able to actually donate a solid organ. It's very, very rare to be able to do that. Most of us can potentially donate some tissues. So when you think about the fact that, that you know, hey, I might not get to donate my heart one day, but I could potentially donate my corneas and someone could see. I could potentially, you know, donate a heart valve and a baby could live. That's, that's pretty impactful. 
Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, you're making a difference with organ donation and you're making a difference with tissue donation. So yes, you may not be saving a life, but you're making a difference no matter what. Absolutely. And well, that on that topic, how do you become a donor? And, And then how do you differentiate, say, I want to be an organ donor, I want to be, or I just want to be a tissue or specify which type. Can you go into some of that? Back in 2007 in North Carolina, uh, a law was passed called the Heart Prevails legislation. And what that law said was if you put a heart on your license at the DMV, that is considered legal first person consent for organ donation. Now it didn't mention tissue donation. So what that means is prior, you know, from after 2007, anytime you said yes, legally, we can recover your organs if they are viable. But for tissue, that would have to be a separate conversation with your loved ones. Um, Back last October, October of 2019, um, we passed a new law called Heart Heroes. And that actually makes it so that if you get a heart on your license, after October of 2019, you are now a legally registered organ and tissue donor. So it just, you know, what I always tell people is the way I look at these things and the importance of registering and all of that is, yes, you want to save lives. Yes, you absolutely want to make a difference and make an impact in whatever ways you can. But also to me, another big part of it, that's a really, I think, important part of it is I want to eliminate yet another decision from my loved one's plate when that time comes. So if they can already know, okay, this is what Taylor wanted. That's just one less thing that they have to worry about in that moment. Now, if you, let's say you got your license in September of 2019, you are still only legally registered for organs. Now, you can register online anytime. You can go on uh, donatelifenc.org, which is how you can, instead of running to the DMV, which no one wants to do during the best of times, and certainly not during a pandemic, um, but you can update your decision online. It's really easy. It's really quick. And on there, you can actually go through and you can specify exactly which organs or tissues you would want to donate. So if for some reason you really feel passionately that you do not want to donate your skin, then you can click every box except skin. If you really feel passionately that you don't want to donate any tissues, then you're able to select that. So you can go in there and sort of pick and choose, and then that will be the decision that is presented to your loved ones. Um, But at the time of your death, our family support or wherever it is that that you happen to pass, your family support uh, coordinator in that situation will look up and find out whether or not you're a registered donor. If you are a registered donor, obviously it is first person consent. However, it is a conversation still with your family. It is, we are not the, the steamrollers coming in there forcing a decision on anyone. Um, we want to make sure everyone is comfortable. Everyone understands, you know, really what the process is because oftentimes when you do have that pushback, it's not actually about the donation. It's about the process. It's also, you know, many times when you're dealing with a, a sudden death of a loved one, you're just saying no to the death of your loved one. It's not, the no's not really about donation. The no's about the death of your loved one. And so it, it is kind of working with them and helping them come around. And I can tell you the vast, vast majority of times the family comes around to wanting to honor what their loved one wanted. Now, if you say we're not a registered donor and maybe you had believed one of those myths or misconceptions and now your family is in the situation and they're seeing, oh wait, 
they are doing everything they can to save my loved one or, you know, it's, it's all those myths and misconceptions get dispelled in the moment. They can make you a donor. So they are, they are able to do that. I tell everyone that I talk to, I think it is the most important thing that we can express to anyone, which is tell your next of kin, tell your loved one what your decisions are. You and I are both in, in, in the, the, the business of talking about death, which as a culture, we do not want to do. We will push back against that all day yeah. long. And I'm certainly not advocating for like, let's every night talk at the dinner table about our end of life decisions. Yeah. But it is a conversation that needs to be had once. And, you know, I think it's so important because again, in that moment, you don't want your family to be burdened with trying to figure out what, what you would have wanted. Absolutely. Um, can a survivor override or the next of kin override the deceased decision to give or donate? Uh, the legal answer is legally, no. I mean, there have been states, not us, but there have been other states and other IPOs that have brought in judges that have said, look, it's a legal first person decision. Yeah. That is not anything that we have ever pursued, or, nor do I think that we would right. pursue that. I, I mean, I'm a PR professional. The idea of that is a nightmare. <laughs> That's yes. the last thing that I would want. Really what they can mainly do is they can slow down the process a lot by not being forthcoming with medical and social histories, by pushing back a lot. They can really slow it down. And unfortunately, much of donation is a time sensitive. But most of the time they do come around to, to if their loved one said yes, saying, okay, yeah, you're right. Let's, let's go forward with this. And, and on the other side, if the deceased was not a registered donor, can the survivors now say, you know what? I want my loved one to give. So we, it's sort of a unique situation in that, you know, in the state of North Carolina, to be a registered donor, it's an active decision. So what I mean by that is, when you go to the DMV, if you get your driver's license, they ask you, do you want to be a donor or no? You say yes. Or you go online and you say yes. But what if you never get your driver's license? Then right. it, when we pull you up, it actually looks like you've said no. You've never said no. You've just never said yes. Or what if you know that your loved one said no because they were operating under a misconception? Or they said no because they just you know, were superstitious and didn't want to talk about death and dying. So that's why it's allowed that you can change that decision. There are also a number of people, especially I hear this a lot of times in different minority communities who aren't comfortable having the heart on their license, but they do want to be donors. So it's a, it's, I guess, a, a systemic distrust. It's not necessarily a distrust of donation. Um, and so sometimes they will say, look, I don't want to put it on my license, but I want my loved ones to know. And I have to have that conversation. Also, if you register online, that's not on your license. So, you know, if you have that, that, you know, misconception of if they say a heart on my license, they're going to let me die on the side of the road. That is, first of all, totally not true. But second of all, you can register online and then that's what they will see. But, you know, have that conversation with your family and then they will know. And you know what? I, I, I always say this, which is it's a personal decision. I am not here to tell people that they have to become donors. It is not the right thing for everyone for whatever your personal decisions are. I just want to make sure people understand what they're saying yes to. They are not saying yes or no based on some, you know, book they read or movie they watched or urban legend or grandma's best friend's sister's cousin told me this. 
Yeah, totally get it. Yeah, it makes sense. What are the laws regarding tissue donation? The laws that we might be interested in as the public that you can tell us about? So the biggest law is what happened last October, which is October 2019, we passed here in North Carolina, the Heart Heroes legislation, which makes it so that when you say yes, and uh, when you're 18 or older, so you're a legal adult, when you say yes at the DMV, or you say yes online, that that is legal first person consent for organ, eye, and tissue donation. Whereas prior to this, it was only legal first person consent for organ and eye donation. So it now includes the tissue as well, which is a really big deal. Tissue is one of those things where as someone who goes out and speaks to the public, I, you know, people can be all in and, you know, you say heart and they're like, of course we want to donate heart and kidney. Of course we want to donate that. And even things like tendons, they're down for that. And then you say skin and people look at you like you're, you know, you're about to, to talk about some, you know, silence of the lamb situation. <laughs> and, and that is not what it is at all. A skin, donated skin tissue is, first of all, not taken from your whole body. It's taken from an area on your back, sometimes the back of your legs. But that actually can be used to save the lives of severe burn victims. So t- skin is actually a life-saving tissue. And it's used oftentimes in um, reconstructive surgery for um, women post-mastectomy. Uh, so it's, it's got some pretty amazing options. So I think knowing that now that with this new law, Heart Heroes, we're able to um, move forward with a lot more tissue recovery, um, it's going to bring a lot, of, a lot of hope and a lot of improved lives and a lot of saved lives to a lot of people out there that are waiting. You mentioned that we can go online, was it to donatelife.org to, specif- to register and yes. specify? Absolutely. It's donatelifenc.org. Okay. And you mentioned Carolina Donor Services doesn't um, harvest cornea. When you say eye, is that what you mean, cornea? And then who does um, that? And and is that when you go to donatelifenc.org, is the option also on there for cornea? And is, is it another group that actually harvests that? First of all, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to correct you on one thing. We no longer use yeah. the word harvest. Okay. Harvest has a negative connotation. Good. So we say recover. We'll we say recover. <laughs> recover. It, it, trust me, it is, that has been a, a long re-education process yeah. Um, yeah. that I think we're going to be dealing with for many, many years. But um, so we, we do not ourselves do the cornea recovery. We are partners with Miracles and Sites, who is the eye bank for North Carolina. And they, we work very closely with them and they will do the on-site cornea recovery. Okay. When the death occurs at a hospital, that's the optimal environment for recovery. So what if someone dies at a nursing home or, or at home, something along, along those lines, how do the procedures change for CDS? The, the way most of us will die is not in a hospital. Um, so what happens in that situation is um, the procedure is still the same. You know, we get called in to be informed, but it will, um, when you don't die in a hospital, there will be no potential for an organ recovery. So at that point, you're talking cornea and tissue, not organ, which is still unbelievable and, and such a gift. Uh, you uh, have to have been found postmortem within 24 hours for that to be an option, unfortunately. But if that is an option, then we will, you know, get moving on that in a very similar way than that 
if it were an organ and we will, you know, have the conversation with the family, we'll discuss what we're able to do. And then we actually end up, you know, uh, oftentimes doing the recovery in our recovery suite in Durham. And then we will get the body to the funeral home. And so normally will the body go from place of death, say nursing home or home or hospice facility to the funeral home and then be back in possession of, of CDS for the recovery and then to the funeral home? Or how would that work? It would normally go directly from the nursing home to CDS. Then to, we would we'll transport it. Because at the funeral home, we have had CDS, I believe, come to the funeral home. What cases would, would that be a situation? Well, and, and I would bet you've also had that a lot with Miracles in Sight with the cornea recovery because they can certainly and they can do they can do the cornea recovery at the you know in the funeral home they can do the coronary recovery in um in a nursing home or that sort of thing that is a, a yeah you okay. i'm sure experience that in fact yeah. many funeral directors used to do cornea recoveries okay i didn't know that and does cds also come to the funeral home in, in some situations we sometimes will do it in the hospital if they are in the hospital, but most of our tissue recovery actually happens on site at CDS. And when a death does occur in the hospital, is CDS for every death, is CDS contacted? Yeah. Okay. Or we are supposed to be, yes. I got you, okay. <laughs> and what, what about for the families that, that are going to be organ donors and you're looking for that, that very small window between you know, life and death. So our hospital personnel told to call you when they're, when somebody is on life support, it, are you getting an automatic phone call? How does that work? Yeah. So um, we have a wonderful department at CDS hospital development and they work really closely with a lot of the, the units in each of their, in each of our hospitals, our partner hospitals. And so they have the kind of the triggers. They have a list of if this, then call at this point. So when you're talking about brain death, you know, that's, it, it takes a little while to assess for brain death. And so we are alerted during that so we can be on site. And, you know, there are certain, you know, they, they know sort of the whole path of, of when, when the call should be made. And from our side, the funeral side, does donation affect funeral services in any way? It absolutely shouldn't. I think, in, you know, it certainly may be a little bit longer of a process. And I think that's really one of the things that you do get some pushback on. And, and it's understandable. I can understand if a family has been dealing and they've been in the hospital and someone has been, you know, in a coma and, and assessing brain death and all that sort of thing. And all that is a long process and wanting to be done with it. And certainly if this person is going to be an organ and tissue donor, that is going to tack some time onto it. So it will be longer before their loved one makes their way to the funeral home than it would have otherwise. We do everything that we can to send our donors to the funeral homes in the best condition that we can. We also work with you all um, directly to, you know, pay any sort of stipend from CDS so that the donor family does not absorb any of those costs. So if there's an extra cost, let's say someone was, you know, a, a, a tissue skin donor and there was a little bit of an extra cost involved for you all to have them ready for an open casket, we actually are able to, to repay some of those costs ourselves. But, you know, people ask me all the time, if you, you know, 
if I want an open casket, can I still be a donor? And I say, absolutely. You know, no one can look at a body and tell whether or not they have an, a heart and kidneys and livers and that sort of thing. People also often ask if they can still be cremated. I say for sure. Um, I did have an interesting conversation with a woman once who asked me if after donation, cremation would be cheaper because you'd weigh less. <laughs> <laughs> Makes well, sense. Hmm, I don't know that it's done by the pound, but I'm not the expert. So, <laughs> um, so you know, it, it, in in most cases, it absolutely should not impact your your burial wishes. Um, the one thing that that will impact is if you want to be a whole body donor. We at Carolina Donor Services do not do whole body donation. Whole body donation is when uh, you want to donate your body either to a, a medical school or a funeral director school or something like that. We are not able to recover any organs. All you can recover is corneas if someone wants to do a whole body. And that will certainly impact funeral. But everything else shouldn't. Yeah. And, and I can add to that as a funeral director and embalmer that you're right. I mean, it, it doesn't affect anything that the family goes through. I can say with certainty, 99.99% of the time, absolutely isn't going to affect anything. Embalmers and funeral directors, if they're doing what they're, they're, they know how to do, what they went to school for, yes, it does take a little extra work, but hey, we don't pass that on to the family. That's our job. That's what we do. And the family knows no different under most circumstances. So agreed with you on that. But yeah, funeral directors and embalmers, I do hear complaints. Oh, I had to do this. I had it. Well, yeah, you, you do. And Sometimes it sucks because you got a little extra work to do, but that's, that's life. Um, so. Well, and, 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 you know, I think every once in a while I, I, I get a chance to talk to groups of funeral directors and I always say, look, I, none of us wants more stuff added to our plate. I get that. I 100% understand that. It's not fun, but Hey, I can now introduce you to five recipients who are alive because you have Absolutely. that extra work yeah. and maybe, maybe there's a little bit of a payoff there at the end right. of the day. Right. Not forgetting about that, that aspect of what has just happened. Exactly. Right. And, and you know, one of the neat things that donate life and C has done, and, and if you can just share the connection with donate life and C and CDS in a minute, but you have some gifts for the family and for the funeral home that they can use to show visitors or guests that this family had helped others by donating. And we, we've received the flag and pins and some other things from Donate Life and See. Um, so Donate Life and See is, it operates over the whole state. And they actually, you know, the biggest thing that they do is they run the statewide registry, um, which is huge. They also run statewide programs. So they partner with Carolina Donor Services, the other APO in Charlotte. They partner with the iBank and they partner with the transplant centers. So they do like they work with the Department of Public Education to make sure that the curriculum that is taught to students in driver's ed about what it means to be a donor is correct. Um, so they run those big statewide initiatives. We are Carolina Donor Services on their board and we are a partner organization. We work with them on certain initiatives. But yeah, we, we really believe that it is something to be celebrated and it is the most heroic thing a person can do in that moment of great grief to say yes to their nation. And so we really want to make sure that, you know, anytime that we can provide them with 
you know, if it's green bracelets or a flag or pens or uh, a hand imprint of their loved one, anything like that, our, our Life Anew, which is our, our sort of our after care program is really, really amazing. We also do a donor every year. We do a donor family memorial celebration, which is this beautiful opportunity. We do them in, in across the state um, for all of our donors of that year, their families to come and um, they can make a quilt square and present their quilt square and talk a little bit about their loved one and meet other donor families. And then we also always have a recipient come and share their story and talk about how thankful they are to their donor. And it's this really beautiful, wonderful experience for them to get to have. It's incredibly meaningful and, and, and healing. And then we actually turn all those quilt squares into quilts that we then use um, on display in our offices, at events, and we also keep all of those quilt squares and the stories online as well. Well, Taylor, I'm out of questions. And I really thank you for today because this was super informative. I, I really selfishly wanted this for myself, but I know, like I said, a lot of these questions came from families we serve and other funeral directors. So can't wait to get this out. And um, again, just thank you. And thank you for, for, you know, all that you guys do, because without support of, uh, of our funeral home partners, our jobs would be much, much harder. And so when, when we have that buy-in from you all and, and you, you see, see the, the ultimate greater good that we're all working for, it, it's really, it makes things, I think, better for all of us and then also certainly better for the donor families. So thank you and thank you for, for having me on and, and to talk about this, and especially in these strange times where it, we're getting the, the word out in all different new ways. That was Taylor Anderton with Carolina Donor Services. You can find more information on CDS by visiting carolinadonorservices.org. We could use your help if you would please subscribe to this show, rate us, review us, or just share this episode on social media. And if there's a topic you want to hear us cover, we'd love to know. Send us an email at podcast at rfhr.com. We sincerely hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to learn more about us or our Death Cafe, please go to our website, rfhr.com. This show was edited and produced by EarFluence. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Beyond the Obituary.